Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. It is absolutely a great day to be great, and especially when I get to talk ball with my guy, Fantasy Life's finest, Chris Allen. What's going on, Chris? Trying to, I'm trying to get motivated, man. I'm trying to like, I'm like, I need the energy today because we are just being inundated with information right now. We're a week out from the season. There's plenty of like last minute preseason like type of stuff that we need to pay attention to. But that's what we're going to get into today, right? We're going to try and figure out and help the folks kind of just be mindful of some of the basic tips and tricks, like when they're heading into drafts guys to pay attention to so i'm i'm super excited but at the same time it's almost like i'm trying to make sure i'm not overexcited so i make plenty like make as many mistakes as possible once i get into the draft we are seven short days away from lions chiefs kicking off the season recording this on september 31st so if you hear us say anything that seems a little outdated because the nfl never stops bringing out breaking news that is why everyone so do you want to touch on chris two quick things that happened this morning before we could get into again some of our main tips and takeaways just getting into draft weekend tj hawkinson becomes the highest paid tight end in nfl history my first reaction was how the heck is this man making more than travis kelsey but obviously you know got to support hawk getting that bag and sure enough chris uh you know one of just the medically proven ways to really help someone's ear infection or lower back pain give them loads and loads of cash and things will be okay so another example maybe of people if you are drafting you know throughout august you probably should be buying into some of these injury related you know fades going on with someone like hawkinson even though i have continued to draft darren waller at a cheaper rate you know throughout the entire offseason i have waller ranked higher hawkinson's still gonna be pretty tough to keep out of that top five conversation on a weekly basis especially chris now presumably knowing that he is absolutely a-okay from a health perspective 100 and i think the biggest thing for hawkinson that we can rely on as fantasy managers is the fact that he was kirk cousins dude i mean after like almost immediately after the trade from detroit like to the minnesota vikings hawkinson became one of the primary targets for kirk cousins like once they got into obvious passing situations so third down if they tried to go for it on fourth down he was looking Hawkinson's way, if not looking for Justin Jefferson. I mean, hell, for most Vikings fans, this might be a little painful to remember, but their season ended on a throw short of the sticks to TJ Hawkinson in the playoffs when they lost to the Giants. So Hawkinson is Kirk Cousins' guy. Hopefully fantasy managers can rely a bit on that coming into the 2023 season. But of course, we've got Jordan Addison coming up right behind him, but I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about him a bit later. But happy for Hawkinson getting the bag, though. By the way, guys, fun fact, August 31st, not September 31st. I will watch the film and get better on that one. Only other uh, little update we had today, Chris, unfortunately, and it didn't completely come out of nowhere, but it certainly wasn't made out to be this big of a deal. But Dolphins RB Jeff Wilson has landed on the injured reserve list. So for those really that have been paying attention in training camp, he has not been practicing throughout August. But we literally had a quote on August 27th, uh, Chris, from uh, you know Mike McDaniel himself, who said Jeff Wilson and Liam Eikenberg are dealing with some pain but could have probably played if yesterday was a regular season game apparently wasn't the case you know mike mcdaniel might run that kyle shanahan offense but it seems like he learned uh, media injury updates from professor uh, pete carroll over there chris so with jeff wilson out of the picture raheem Mostert rising up the ranks devin a chain looking better although he's still getting back to practice himself after suffering that shoulder injury Really seems like at some point Miami's got to take a long look at some of these available free agent running backs because as much as I love and support, you know, Raheem Moster and A-Chain and what they can do, trusting a 30-plus-year-old veteran and a rookie undersized back already dealing with a shoulder injury, not exactly the sort of running back depth you want to be entering week one with. 
Not exactly. And I was actually writing up the Chargers Dolphins preview just in the last couple of days and thinking about how Brandon Staley was able to more or less provide like I don't want to say to provide the blueprint on how to dissolve or break up the, the Mike McDaniel offense. But it did seem like he, he had the he had to his number in that game to his number uh, to his average time to throw drop from about two and a half seconds two point seven six seconds. We only saw him get over like just barely over 150 passing yards in that game. Uh, so having a guy like A-Chain there might be the option that they needed in order to keep the passing game going. So A-Chain could be a week one, you know, low-end flex type of starter with, you know, flex with benefits, as my guy yeah, likes to say. But either way, between him and Mostert, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them start to kick the tires on some of those aging veteran running backs that are still kicking out there on in free agency as of right now. In drafts, how far do you kind of see yourself starting to reach on Raheem Moster? You know, just for reference right now, we have guys like Samaj Piran, Rashad Penny, Tank Bigsby going about, you know, in that round nine, round 10 range. Is that about where you would rank him? Are you confident in giving Mostert a little bit more of a uh, bump up the ranks? Because to be fair, I mean, last year when he was the guy in Miami, Rick really was someone we could trust as a low end RB2. I think with Samaje P. Ryan, as we were discussing last week, with the number of wide receiver injuries that Denver has had, P. Ryan being useful or being a viable option in the passing game, I can still see P. Ryan having at least a longer leash or a longer amount of time being serviceable as a running back option for fantasy purposes. Similarly for Penny, I mean, not rest, not necessarily on the passing side, but let's just say on the rushing side, things could break his way and he has more yeah. upside as a running back. Whereas I don't see that for, for Mostert. I mean, I, we can assume Jeff Wilson is going to be back at some point. Miami's offensive line doesn't really lend itself to running back production. And also, Tua likes to throw once they get into the red zone. I mean, they were at least top 10, top 12 in red zone pass over expectation last season. So I think about where you had them, ninth, 10th round, that seems fair for right now. I wouldn't really push them back at least those running backs that you listed. Mike McDaniel did follow up and say he won't be surprised if Jeff Wilson returns this season. Yeah, I, I hope you wouldn't be yeah, surprised, so. man. Again, you <laughs> thought that you could play in a regular season game a couple of days ago. Hopefully four weeks gets it done. Jeff Wilson, again, someone that's dealt with a lot of injuries in his short career. Get healthy, Jeff. So, Chris, that, again, concludes pretty much some of the news we had come at us this morning. NFL never sleeps. This league, as some might say, but let's get into the main stuff for this podcast. Basically, we're each going to go on and just give five tips or takeaways or just kind of the last things we want to get off our chest. I know a bunch of you do have your fantasy drafts either, you know, right before the season or on Labor Day weekend. And, you know, with that, let's get after it, man. I had an article go live on fantasylife.com for free, as always. And just looking at some bigger schematic takeaways that I actually had, you know, after diving more into some of the preseason usage. I mean, fantastic stuff from our own uh, Dwayne McFarland in terms of, you know, the utilization and everything like that. So I know we've all kind of talked about the same, like, first-team snap rates at length before, so I'm trying to avoid some of that and instead maybe looking at some of the scheme changes that could ultimately be the story after week one of the regular season. But you, a scholar listening to this right now, already knows it because we're about to talk about it right now so first up chris the anthony richardson show obviously jonathan taylor will be missing at least the first four games and who knows if he has already played his last game with a horseshoe on the helmet just looking at what shane slecken has already brought into this offense though i mean 28.4 percent rpo rate easily led the preseason next closest team was washington down there at 24.5 percent and we also saw indianapolis boast the highest no huddle rate of any offense out there so current fantasy life projections have written 
Richardson clearing 150 carries. I mean, it's one of these things, Chris, where like I hear people saying like, you know, Justin Fields only threw for 2,200 yards or, you know, talking smack about Daniel Jones's crappy passing production last year as well. Those guys finished QB5 and QB8. Like, there is a legit chance. Richardson doesn't even need to be a serviceable passer. Fields really wasn't a serviceable passer last year, and it didn't matter because of how good he was running the football. The fact that we're seeing this offense potentially making life easier for him as a passer with all, all the RPOs and increasing the pace, something that, you know, ETR's Pat Thorman has done a great job over the years, highlighting with great offenses, just giving you, again, a lot more play volume on a week-to-week basis. Throw in the fact they're probably going to be playing from behind and forcing Richardson to put this team on his back. Look, I don't expect him to be a great real-life quarterback. I think the Colts are probably going to be a dog shit team this year. But if there's one thing we can rest on, I think it's Richardson emerging sooner rather than later as a very viable upside QB1 in Fantasyland. So if you want to use the Justin Fields comparison, let's let's keep let's let's walk with that for a little bit. Okay. So let's look at Justin Fields in his uh, in his first season. Passing game or passing game component that he had, like the receivers that he had to throw to compared to Anthony Richardson, I would say at best, Anthony Richardson probably has a better squad than what Justin Fields had to work with. All right. So that's one point in Anthony Richardson's favor. Let's look at the offensive line. I mean, the dudes up front that were generating push. How would you compare the Chicago Bears offensive line to the Colts at this point? While I know a couple of their offensive linemen, they've been aging and or injured over the past season or two. But I would also give a point to Anthony Richardson on that front as well. And let's just compare athleticism. I mean, Justin Fields, for as much as we give him credit for being just, what, 4-4-4 speed. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, absolutely. I mean, just a big dude, big body guy. I mean, Anthony Richardson is an absolute freak of nature. I mean, looking at his combine measurables. So that's three points that I would put towards Anthony Richardson at this at this stage. And if we can also give him at least a partial, let's say a half point on having the mastermind of bringing Jalen Hurts from where he was at as a passer to the high-end QB that we have him as of right now in fantasy land, that all kind of points to Anthony Richardson being able to, at the very least, I'm not saying he's going to wind up as QB4, QB5, but the chance to outkick his current ADP, I mean, absolutely. So targeting him where he's at right now for fantasy purposes, let's toss the real life analysis out of the way for the time being and draft the man because we know that rushing breaks fantasy football. So I'm, I'm with you 100%. And guys, like I, maybe you're in leagues and it is sometimes I'm in like best ball and I'll see Richardson go like QB eight, QB nine. And then I'm, you know, we're sitting here, Chris calling him like a good late round options position. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at just consensus ADP out there right now. And he's coming in as the QB 15, man, at a minimum, like yeah. some of the drafts I've done yeah. with Dwayne, like you're seeing the top seven guys, Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, Jackson, Burrow, Herbert, and Fields. Like those, and even put uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence in there as well. You're gonna see those guys off the board sooner rather than later. And I would be very hard pressed to believe many of them are gonna be there later in round six and more of these drafts than not. Then there's Deshaun Watson kind of in his own little tier. You might see another round or two go by and then you get Deshaun. After that, it's another break. And if you're still waiting that long, you've already got, you know, nine or 10 guys on your squad. Like, look at the people we're going between at this point, Chris. Could Rodgers or Cousins or Geno, like, really break out and have a high passing touchdown total? Sure. And guess what? If we just don't land on Richardson, I'm not against getting those guys. You've done some great work on Geno already. But in terms of finding the guy who's, again, just going to be much better and fancy than in real life, I mean, Tim Tebow, Taysom Hill, guys that can barely throw a forward pass have been viable QB ones just because of that sweet, sweet rushing upside. And you mentioned like the athleticism standpoint, quantifiably by RAS score, the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen. That's the type of guy I want to bet on late, Chris. 
Yeah, and I'm almost thinking back to what was it in Lamar Jackson's like first season? Like, wasn't he also getting drafted in like the 11th, 12th round, like somewhere in there? And we saw his 2019. He was. It was ridiculous. Exactly. So we saw him skyrocket up to where he's at right now. Not saying again. Not saying that he's gonna that Anthony Richardson is gonna attain the same heights as Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson. We're not gonna be crowning him the MVP. Or also, that'd be kind of dope if that wound up happening. I mean, stranger <laughs> things have happened in the regular season of the NFL. But we've seen this type of stuff happen before. So making that bet, it, it's not a bad process. It's not a bad bet to make once you get into fantasy drafts. And again, just to be clear here, I'm going top 10 QB from week one on. Week one on. I'm not going to be late to this. And just to just to start getting, you know, first matchup stat of the year here, Chris, on the Fantasy Life podcast. I mentioned all the RPO and no huddle goodness. If you look at the Jaguars last year, again, they got a lot of dogs in that defensive line. What's an easy way how to slow down some of those guys from just pinning their ear back and getting your quarterback? Plays like the RPOs and accordingly to Jaguars, bottom five defense in yards per play and EPA against against RPOs last season. So a little something to keep in mind. If it doesn't work out and the Colts, uh, you know, scored three points, it's the preseason. Who cares? But if I'm right, Chris, uh, that's when uh, we pull the clip back up. Gotta love, uh, you know, fantasy content in the year 2023. Love your tip you have here, Chris. You actually sent me two at first. The first tip was be mindful of ADP, but your next mm -hmm. tip was screw ADP. So I wanted to conjoin these together and just have you elaborate because as messed up and backwards as a statement might sound, mm -hmm. I do think you're onto something here, especially when applying it to different stages of the draft. And that's exactly it. Because a lot of folks will think about, well, when I say screw ADP, it's like the whole, the whole like go get your guys type of adage. And that's, that's not it at all. But let's start with the first thing. Let's be mindful of ADP, especially in the early rounds, because the relative values of the players that are getting drafted, those are important. And also the positions that you're drafting are also important. There's a reason why Austin Eckler is going ahead of Garrett Wilson, Stefan Diggs, and like insert wide receiver, CD Lamb, insert wide receiver one going at the back half of first round here because of the relative value that he presents. He's one of the only running backs that are capable of having over a 50% rushing share once his team gets into the red zone and also having a high-end target share. Outside of Christian McCaffrey, you're not gonna be able to find that anywhere else. So when you make your first round selection, being mindful of ADP and also the types of players that are gonna be available in the second, third, consequently, on all the consequential rounds afterwards, that's important. So that's where being mindful of ADP, especially in the early rounds where the you have the highest average output per round, and that's Look at any year. I mean, going, going back over year over year, you have your highest potential of drafting the best player on your roster in the early rounds. And that's just a fact. So if you do want to make sure that you're building a squad optimally, that is where you want, at least have to be mindful of the types of players that you're reaching on and the types of, and, the, and their relative value, at least when it comes to their average draft cost. But on the other hand, you also have to be mindful of what your draft mates are doing. So I'm going to give you just a quick extreme example. Let's say your whole team, let's say the whole league just starts off with a quarterback run. It's Patrick Mahomes, it's Jalen Hurts, it's Joe Burrow, uh, Justin Fields, like we just talked about, Lamar Jackson. Everybody's flying off the board uh, in the first round. It's a one QB league. Everything is the way that's supposed to be, but you just happen to be in that league where people still draft in the Stone Age and they think that they have to get their passer right off the rip. Here's where ADP then goes out the window. You do have to at least be mindful of the rankings, the relative rankings like within, within each position, understanding that Justin Herbert, while he might have a, let's say an ADP of what, fifth round-ish, somewhere yeah. in there. Also, he's the 
typically quarterback six, quarterback seven taken off the board. So if you're getting him at a quarterback six, quarterback seven relative to the rest of the quarterbacks, then hey, that might not be a bad value in and of itself. And a lot of times, once you get into drafts, you don't know what's going to happen. There's going to be this guy that's going to want to have all the Bengals. If you happen to be drafting in Ohio, like Ian and I have been over the past few years, and they might want to reach on every single Cincinnati player. Like, Are you talking about Michigan? yourself, Chris? We do have evidence maybe, that you take maybe. Tyler Boyd in round five. That happened. That happened, that happened one time, okay? That happened one time, okay? I don't need this from you. No, but I mean, but that stuff will happen, okay? But that's what that's what can happen depending on the types of it. And if you happen to be start, you know, drafting with a bunch of Steelers fans, you'll see Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, I mean, even Kenny Pickett get pushed up in drafts. So understanding the player's value relative to the other people in their position, that's where that's why I say screw ADP. It's nothing about getting your guys, it's understanding their cost relative to the other players that will allow you to move within ADPs without ne necessarily sacrificing opportunity costs. You're not adding more risk to your roster by making the selection of that particular player. So that's where mindful of ADP, but at the same time, watching what your league mates do may, might, have, may, might make you have to say, screw ADP at the same time. It's a guide, not a rule. And I think you explained it well, Chris. And it's one of these things, too, where, like, you know, Dwayne and I have been doing some of our NFFC drafts, and we'll have two players that we feel pretty much equal on, and we have to really make a choice. And a lot of times the tiebreaker is that, especially if, like, we're at the turn, there's only going to be two or three picks between us. The tiebreaker is, like, who do we think has the best chance of falling back to us? Well, yeah. what's the easiest way of deciding that? Your ADP. So, again, that leads to situations sometimes where you can get a guy a full round later than you were maybe willing to in the first place because, again, you were just playing the odds game in terms of getting that ADP would I draft someone you know ahead of that guy that I don't like just because the ADP is higher no and that goes under the screw the ADP side of Chris's argument but again being mindful of it helps you get the best of both worlds all right, Chris, I want to talk a little Cleveland Browns here because, you know, mm -hmm. our fearless leader over here at Fantasy Life, Matthew Berry himself, shouted this out back in March, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. One of his 23 things he learned at the NFL Combine, here is Matthew's quote. Cleveland's offense is going to be really interesting next year. Look for the Browns to add a speed wide receiver this offseason to go with Amari Cooper, ended up being Elijah Moore, and to a lesser extent, Cedric Tillman. One mm -hmm. source told me they are really going to open up the offense, go five wide, pass a lot. This is going to be Deshaun Watson's offense, not Nick Chubb. They will pass a lot lot more than folks expect well that five wide little you know note there so far has come to fruition chris no offense utilized more empty formations than the browns in the preseason 14 and a half percent might not sound like a ton but only six offenses were even in double digits and accordingly we saw them being far more willing to throw the ball 65.3 raw pass play rate that ranks seventh in the nfl nearly 10 percent higher than their 24th place mark from last season so again it's preseason i'm well aware people and nick chubb and jerome ford weren't in there maybe they said it's the freaking preseason go pass the ball to sean and dtr you know as much as you guys want but again when we do see the team making these moves not feeling the need to add in you know, a high-end running back after kareem hunt took his talents to free agency and Please, for the love of God, man, somewhere else eventually. I cannot have another Will Fuller situation here. That part of it aside, Chris, we've seen moves both talked about and also just kind of in practice here with the Browns. And I'm feeling pretty good about, you know, all these shares I have now to Deshaun, to Elijah, to David Njoku, to a late round Donovan Peoples-Jones even. And 
Last point here, which I do love when I can get this happening with, uh, you know, just having maybe a little bit of push here in the Twitter streets when, you know, we actually, I tweet something out and then like an actual knowledgeable person gives me more information. And, you know, I sent out some of these, you know, cool preseason shit that maybe matters, maybe doesn't. And Robert Mays over at The Athletic, you know, one of the sharpest football minds in the freaking industry out here. Shout out Robert. Great stuff with uh, Nate Tice always over there. But Robert said, based on training camp travels and conversations, he did say the Colts are PO rates that we just just talked about the Browns being number one in percentage of players out of empty and Pittsburgh, who we'll talk about in a little bit, having a higher deep ball rate. Those were the ones that he did believe mattered when, again, they're matching the conversation, they're matching the plans, and now we're seeing it in practice. So again, Chris already kind of talked about the quarterback hierarchy in that Richardson conversation, but if you're getting to round eight, sometimes even round nine, depending on the room you're in, Deshaun Watson sitting right there. Asking yourself that question we've been trying to ask all offseason. What can I get here that I can't get later? Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson is regularly the answer in round eight and round nine. Well, I personally won't be able to do it in round eight or round nine. I think my, my Bengals fandom, it's just like there's this mental block <laughs> that I got that like once I see like Cleveland Browns or something like that, like I just I, I can't do it. No, I'll get that, Boyd there, that, you know? I, that, yeah, exactly. Like if I can get Tyler Boyd there, I mean, shoot, I'll take Irv Smith in the eighth or ninth round over Stop Deshaun it. Watson. <laughs> I'll just flat. But uh, but seriously, I think the 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 point, or not even uh, the the thing to take away, is not just the the thought or the idea of the Browns passing like early in the off season. It's what has the team told us like throughout the off season, like through their actions, retaining Amari Cooper, absolutely. But the addition of Elijah Moore, I mean, it means more than just adding a wide receiver. And think about while he was not used as much as we wanted to see him used in New York, but the types of routes that he was running, the, the, the fact that he was more like he was an efficient wide receiver over the back half of his rookie season. He can work as the, as the Z receiver. He can work in the slot as well. The efficiency part that will allow him to work in, uh, after the catch and create. So we've got two high-end route runners in Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore. Like you mentioned to your point, I mean, adding Cedric Tillman, that speed threat, also having Donovan Peoples-Jones, and of course, David Njoku, top 12 in yards per route run amongst all tight ends over the past couple of seasons. So you now have like this, like this, this group, this core of receivers that now not only can win in, uh, like create separation, but also can create after the catch. And then now having Deshaun Watson being the type of guy that wants to be able to operate out of shotgun be able to survey the field and then work work outside of that if he needs to. I mean, that's what the, that's all of the actions that the Browns have shown us over this offseason, that they want to be that type of passing offense that fits his style. So all that being said, I believe it when they say that that's what they're going to do, because not only is that does that fit Deshaun, but it also fits the personnel that they now have in front of him. Exactly, man. Words help sometimes but the actions are what matter and again when we start seeing the words match the actions that's when i'm most confident in having a more major preseason or training camp takeaway and just real quickly on the prices of all these browns guys i mean again i really do think watson deserves to be in his own tier if he did not play a snap of football last year he's probably in that same top five top six round conversation but because he did we know we are now forced to choose between a six game sample size and a four-year sample size i'm going to take the four years over there david the joku 
You know, whether you want to rank him above or below Pat Fryermuth and Evan Ingram, I think you can make a fair argument for both. But that end of the tight end tier is a spot where I do want to usually try to land one of those guys and mm-hmm. not go in the late round waters. Elijah Moore before the wide receiver cliff gets there. I mean, Amari Cooper and Nick Chubb are the only two guys that are actually going to cost you a pretty penny. And even them, like they aren't ridiculously priced in my opinion. Finally, DPJ will be starting in two wide receiver sets. We've seen that come to fruition all preseason. Had a real nice end of the season run, actually, just relative to how Cooper was doing with Watson. And honestly, Chris, like DPJ, Jaden Reed, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and Devontae Parker, my three favorite late, late round wide receivers that you should be able to get in like legit round 15 or later and more drafts than not. So price is right for a lot of these Cleveland Brown talents. Going to take us to your next point here, Chris. Elite quarterback or tight end, and I'm guessing a lot of this does go into sometimes the strategy of guys scooping up Kelsey round one, Mahomes round two. Not saying it can't work out because when we say these Mm -hmm. rosters, you know, some look better than others right now. Like, guess what? If you showed me a bunch of Josh Jacobs teams before last season started, I probably wouldn't have been the biggest fan. We all saw how that worked out. So what we say looks right now isn't guaranteed to essentially be right by the end of the season. You know, it's time of the year, Chris, where everything looks great. And then all of a sudden, 60 minutes in the week one, everything inexplicably goes terribly wrong but with that in mind talk about just i guess how taking an elite quarterback and elite tight end inside of the first few rounds of your draft really makes you have to be perfect at rb and wide receiver right and i think that's the biggest point is that if you do go that route i can understand folks not wanting to uh have to deal with either onesie position right because you've probably done the late round streaming thing. I've done that. And then you run up against that Patrick Mahomes team and you're like, well, I guess that's an L for this week. And then on the flip side, I mean, you're rocking uh, like whether it's uh, Gerald Everett, even though he is my boy out of the late rounds or insert late round, Hayden Hurst, Irv Smith or any of those guys. And then you run up against the Mark Andrews team. And you're like, well, I guess we'll, you know, try it again next week. I get it. But think about the opportunity cost that's involved in drafting either of those players. Again, for folks that don't know what opportunity cost is, it's essentially the player or players that you're bypassing in order to draft the guy that you do. Extreme example, you draft Patrick Mahomes in the second round. You take him at cost. Who are you passing up there? You're passing up Saquon Barkley. You're passing up Derek Henry. You're passing up uh, Devonta Smith, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddell. I mean, the wide receivers and running backs that are typically available in the mid to back end of the second round. That's a pretty big deal. So like, like I was talking about earlier, I mean, if you want to have the highest output wide receivers or running backs, you have to be taking those shots in the first and second round. So by bypassing either of any of those options, you're now limiting yourself. You're limiting not just your, your starting positions, but also your depth as well. So you need the Tyler Boyds of the world in order to make up for the fact that you didn't draft them, didn't draft a Christian Watson or a Chris Olave or a T Higgins or any of those guys earlier. So that's where I'm always looking for one or the other. If you wanna lean towards getting an elite quarterback, you want Lamar, you want Justin Herbert, or I throw Trevor Lawrence into that group as well if you want to, or I mean, that's a debate. If you wanna have that, that's fine. One of those top seven quarterbacks, cool. Take them at cost, build out your core. Or if you want to get the Mark Andrews, the Travis Kelseys, the TJ Hawkinsons of the world, not me, but, or Darren Waller, my guy, that's fine. 
But again, you're bypassing those quarterbacks and potentially look at the Tua Tungavailoa's of the world, the Kirk Cousins, the Geno Smiths, in order to back up the quarterback position. So that's why, again, it allows you that flexibility where you have an elite player or high-end player at the onesie position, at one of the onesie positions, and you're still able to build out a strong core because we need to start at least two running backs, at least two wide receivers on a weekly basis, and we're not having to sacrifice the value in order to do that. But I know a lot of folks say, well, not in my league. I can get this guy whenever I can do this and I can outmanage. Like, okay, fine. All right. You're a better manager than me. Okay, fine. <laughs> but for everybody else that might struggle with having to pick up after drafting any of those elite onesie positions early, again, try and avoid that if you can and just wind up building out your core versus trying to attack both the quarterback and tight end position early. And the final note I would just add uh, is just that if you are going to go with one of these ones, the elite options, and I would, again, I put it up to Trevor Lawrence, you know, top eight there. Watson, as high on him as I am this year, I do realize there's more of a risk based on what we saw last year relative to those other guys. So I will, you know, take a second quarterback when I feel it's right when I have a Deshaun Watson team. But if you have a top eight quarterback or if you have, honestly, I'd say about a top Top five to seven tight end. You don't need a second one, Chris. I know you might feel like you need your backup there with the bye weeks and stuff. You mm -hmm. can't figure that out later. And there is no scenario where you're going to be starting someone like Jared Goff or Russell Wilson over a Jalen Hurts. And all you're doing in that situation is burning a mid to late round pick that I get it isn't the highest to begin with, but you need those extra ammo shots when you already used up an early round pick on a quarterback to then try to build some depth at running back and wide receiver. So if you do go elite QB or elite tight end only go one QB and one tight end assuming we're not talking tight end premium or super flex formats time to talk some Steelers just trying to hype up all of Chris's least favorite teams yeah. up here on the pod today but really Chris uh you know five drives five touchdowns for the Steelers first team offense and Kenny Pickett I mean it's fair to see them hyped about it but really it was the way that Pickett was playing that I do think we could see maybe just maybe you know lead into a better regular season for him because honestly just this offense over the past three years has more times not been a dink and dunk special a lot of that had to do with Ben Roethlisberger in 2021 but we didn't really get that difference in offense last year that even Mason Rudolph was talking about back in March Rudolph was in an interview and he got asked about Matt Canada's play calling and you know it kind of got skewed a little bit and Rudolph made a fair point like when you have last year Ben Roethlisberger has done so many great things of course he's always going to still be running his sort of offense similar to Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay few adjustments but at the end of the day you're trusting the future Hall of Famer there but Rudolph talking about Matt Canada's scheme said that he is a play action guy he's a push the ball down the field kind of guy now, we still have not seen any of that play action come to fruition. I don't know why, but we cannot expect that to happen. It hasn't changed at all. But the throwing the ball down the field part, Chris, is where it gets interesting because this Steelers team in, 20, in 2021 ranked 27th in deep ball rate. Last year in the preseason, they were 6th, and then that plummeted back to 28th in the regular season. This year, though, they're 1st, and it's even another 4% above what we saw in last year's preseason. And I believe the reason for optimism in this not plummeting like it did last year is that it was actually Kenny Pickett himself being responsible for it. Mesh Trubisky mm -hmm. wasn't afraid to throw downfield last year. He actually had a 10-yard average target depth, and he was a big reason why that we saw that preseason number be as high as it was last year. Pickett, not so much. 6.6-yard average target depth during last year's preseason. Only eight yards once we got to the regular season. But again, 
10.6 this year in the preseason. Look good doing it. They have George Pickens. They have Deontay Johnson. They have an athletic tight end in Pat Fryermuth that can go downfield. And hopefully, Chris, this leads to just better news for the offense all the way around. More fantasy-friendly targets for Deontay and George Pickens. And guys like Najee Harris and Jalen Warren, who both had to face A-plus defenders in the box at a higher rate, hopefully won't be having those safeties rolling down so hard when they know what they have to deal with with the ball coming over the top. So is this just late August, early September conjecture where we've talked about so much freaking shit already that here I am hyping up Kenny Pickett in this downfield offense? Maybe, Chris. But again, it's a situation where I think the lure on Deontay, even as he's gotten you know slowly more and more uh, up the ranks, and even George Pickens, like these are guys that are still, I think, being penalized more so for what happened last year as opposed to trying to look forward into 2023. And again, Pickett doesn't even need to be you know Ben Roethlisberger in order for this offense to ball out. If he can just be a better version of what we saw last year and more willing to push the ball downfield, I think both these receivers could honestly surprise. It wouldn't be the first time we see freaking, you know, two wide receivers from the same middling offense be good. George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, man, guys I've made a habit of targeting more than ever here over the last few weeks. And also, we've heard positive reports about Allen Robinson working out of the slot like so far right. throughout the preseason. And of course, Pat Fryermuth, who has been in the middle class at tight ends over the past like two to three seasons, been top 10 in yards per route run. So now Kenny Pickett has multiple options in order to create and have it like run an efficient passing game. So I'll be honest, despite my Cincinnati fandom, I am legitimately impressed with the step forward, at least that we see from the Steelers passing game, like throughout most of the preseason. Kenny Pickett himself looking like he's much more poised in the pocket. There were a number of throws I saw throughout preseason where he's able to layer them past defenders. The touchdown to uh, touchdown to Frymuth, I thought, yeah. uh, when they played against the Bills, if I remember correctly, looked especially nice. So the, my only question for Pickett is from a fantasy standpoint is if we're going to see some of the rushing component to his game i think last season he had a scramble rate somewhere around like the nine ten percent ish range which is like really nice like for a late round running back a late round quarterback option and if we get some of that this season on top of the efficient passing game pushing the ball downfield more george pickens type highlights when they're playing literally anybody else except for the Bengals, i'm good with that I think that's where Pickens becomes more of a late round option uh, for me and one of the types of quarterbacks that you'd want to target if you're looking for a streaming option because not only will you get the high passing rate, you also get the mobility that would really cement him as a fringe top 12 option. Otherwise, we're just kind of looking at a Ben Roethlisberger-esque type of quarterback that will really rely on the passing production in order for him to make his bones in the game. We have guys ranked the way they do. And even if we call someone like a cheaper version, clearly they're cheaper for a reason. So understanding that we have these quarterbacks going in the top five, top six rounds, your Herbert Burrow kind of T-Law tier of guys who, again, have loaded weapons, we're high on them as passers, and they're not complete statues. We can get, you know, 15 to 20 rushing yards per game, hopefully a handful of touchdowns on the year. The version I think we agree on is the cheaper archetype of that is Geno Smith for the Seahawks. All mm -hmm. he's got to do is be the same guy he was last year when he outs scored T-Law and Justin Herbert, giving us, again, that boom pocket passing potential, but a little bit more rushing upside than what you're seeing from guys like Rodgers and Cousins, at least at this point in their careers in that tier. If we want to go even cheaper, Chris, and I would not want to ever leave a draft with these guys as my number one QB. But Are you say somehow? 
Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett, man. We got the wide receivers out there, and we have the potential for them to run the ball a little bit more. Let's say Geno. Let's say Rodgers. Let's say Cousins. One of those guys does end up being your first QB. If anyone ranked outside the top 20 is really going to ascend to become a meaningful fantasy contributor, I think Pickett and Howell stand out as those two guys. Yeah, I agree. I think that's where it's easy to see not just the from their passing standpoint, if we're starting to see more volume from them as a passer, that automatically should put them on our radars. But then if mobility's there and the strong surroundings, I mean, all of that kind of makes it for having that one week type of uh, one week type of flash that we would need for fantasy purposes. So I'm with you now. The guy I mentioned at the top of that list, or at least very towards the top, Justin Herbert, someone that will cost you a bit of an early round pick to get. That said, you know, he is starting to go, Chris, in a range where, you know, Damian Pierce, I do like a ton in round five, really warming up to him a lot. Certain mm -hmm. wide receivers talked about Deontay and stuff, but it's a pretty long tier of running backs and wide receivers at that point, even tight end, honestly. Like, there's no one in those middle rounds that I'm just like, oh my God, I need to have this guy. And accordingly, I'm not afraid to take one of these early ish round quarterbacks when I feel like I'm not, you know, completely screwing myself in one of those other positions. So, talk about Justin Herbert being someone that you've really warmed up to and now at this point going out of your way to get earlier in drafts yeah and i think this goes back to i forget who came up with it or where i heard this but i in my time like working in this industry i've heard the the you analogy where you don't want to be the first guy like to draft in a tier and you don't want to be the last you know don't want to get the last guy in a tier you want to be like somewhere in that you and justin herbert fits in there where you're yep. not drafting patrick mahomes jalen hurts uh, Joe Burrow, and then you're not towards the back end of that, like where where you're talking about like Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, and like so Herbert fits in like somewhere in that middle ground, and of course as we were talking earlier about the opportunity cost standpoint, if you're taking Herbert, let's say two ish rounds later than you would two to three rounds later that you would have to take a Jalen Hurts or a Justin Fields or whomever that should allow you to build or at least have uh, more swings at the running back and wide receiver position earlier on. So you can start off with a stronger core. You can start off with your Jamar Chases, your Tyreek Hills, your Austin Ecklers, and any of the guys in the second, third, and fourth round, and then, gr and then grab a guy that should be able to, that will be in the top five, top six discussion on a weekly basis, which should, which we should be doing for Justin Fields, or not Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, uh, for the 2023 season. Rayshon Slater back. Keenan, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, healthy, added Quentin Johnston to the mix. I mean, all of that sets up for Herbert to at least, and what, no fractured ribs or rib cartilage like for this season as well. About to say the biggest yeah. injury right there yeah. himself. Exactly. So I think at best we should we could potentially see a bit more scrambling out of him. I think it was around a 5 6% scramble rate uh, two seasons ago before he got popped in the ribs uh, at the beginning of last season or towards the beginning of last season. All that sets up for Herbert to be back into the top end like quarterback discussion for fantasy purposes. I think Vegas had them at the sixth best uh, projected team total on a weekly basis for this season. And at the start of the offseason, he was being drafted as a QB7, QB8. Now he slid right back into where Vegas values him. But given his ADP, the types of players, so the type of core roster you can build around him or in front of him, considering you can get at least four or five solid starters at the wide receiver and running back position before you have to pull the trigger on Herbert, it makes it easier for me to angle for a high-end quarterback like Herbert versus trying to shoehorn in Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, and, and Patrick Mahomes.
you named all the injuries that impacted Herbert himself. And then obviously the offensive system around him last year. And that's honestly been the one thing where as much as, you know, we want to curse Joe Lombardi for not airing it out more, like at certain points of last year, who the hell was Herbert supposed to air the ball out to? Even their like de facto field stretcher, Jalen Guyton was on IR after like week three of the season. So as much as, you know, we can say, oh, Herbert, look at the arm. He should have been throwing more. You had a quarterback in pain without his, you know, top tier left tackle. And usually without multiple of his top wide receivers so at that point it's like yeah really centering things around Austin Eckler getting the ball out of his hands quickly makes a little bit more sense but if we can just get the best version of Herbert in this offense out there Chris we saw it in 2020 and 2021 going in I had to go back to my 2022 Chargers team preview here going into last season Herbert was number two all time in fantasy points per game at the position only behind Patrick Mahomes 22 point freaking three that's what happens when in your second year in the NFL, you throw for over 5,000 yards and you account for over 40 total touchdowns. Justin Herbert's someone that, you know, earlier in the offseason, especially when there was that large gap between Burrow and Herbert, regularly making those Chargers stacks and certainly someone that, again, if you can find your way into in the middle rounds, don't think you're going to have to be worried too much about that QB position throughout 2023. All right, guys. I got some Bill O'Brien updates in New England because we've heard all offseason, Chris. Matt Patricia's gone. It's going to be a new mm-hmm. offense. Things are going to be better. So I thought, okay, what's better? Let's find out because, you know, there are some sort of schematic principles that we see a lot of the smarter teams do that can maybe help hint towards this team taking a leap. And so far, I will say, Chris, it is a different offense. If you look at the RPO rate, 7.5% in the 2022 regular season, that was up to 16.6% so far in this preseason. Screen rate is up almost a full 6%. And most importantly, as Mac Jones said, uh, you know, throughout last season, he think he specifically said quick game, you know, word I'm not supposed to say too often sucks <laughs> back at the sideline. I mean, the deep ball rate last year was a lowly 4.4% up to 10% so far in the preseason. So it's not all Mac Jones. Again, I recognize it's the preseason. It's not a complete guarantee that sticks, but at a minimum, man, this is an offense that I think if you force every single team's, you know, top three wide receivers, your number one tight end, your quarterback, and you're running back to do a relay race, maybe finishes dead last. Like this is not an offense with a bunch of explosive playmakers you necessarily have to account for. So seeing things like RPOs, like screens, like some more deep shots to, you know, your badass contested catch artist, Devontae Parker down the field. They're trying stuff, Chris. And it's tough to remember this because of how bad this offense was to watch last year. But go back to 2021. This Patriots offense ranked sixth in total points scored that year. So really Mm -hmm. is a situation where when I still continue to look at Devontae Parker and Hunter Henry, literally at the end of drafts, guys, 80 wide receivers go before Devontae Parker. I know he hurt you in the past, but he hurt you in the past as a mid-round pick, not a last-round pick. Parker and Henry, man, when I need those positions at the end of drafts, I'm taking them every time. So... Actually, Devontae Parker helped me win a championship one year, so he will always have uh, like a a solid place in my heart. (laughs) But I think the biggest thing that I'm trying to parse through right now with the the Patriots offense is what are their like outside options going to be like for Mac Jones? Like if they're going to push the ball downfield, who's going to be the beneficiary like of that type of aggression from Mac Jones? Devontae Parker, absolutely. Taekwon Thornton, already on IR. We assume he's going to be back, you know, but in the next month or so, and that'll be cool and all. But who are they going to bring in or who's going to benefit from this? Kendrick Bourne, who's been in and out of the doghouse, like for whatever reason over the past couple of seasons. Okay, maybe. Mike Gesicki, I don't think he's really like the downfield option. Maybe if they want to turn him into something, Miami. Or two, I think still. 
Yeah. So it's just how is that going to play out like once we get into the regular season and looking at like their their week one matchup uh, against the Eagles, who their perimeter corners have been like two of the best in the game. Right. I mean, Darius Slay, I mean, James Bradbury, I mean, those are the types of guys that you would want, like guarding somebody like your best receivers. But they are getting kind of old. Right. I mean, 30 years, but both of them, I think, have crested 30 at this point. And we've seen the types of uh, the big bodied receivers get the best of them in the past. I mean, T Higgins like wound up getting the best of them, like when the, uh, when the Bengals played against them. Uh, and then if I'm remembering correctly, uh, there was another group that also had like uh, like big bodied receivers that also did it as well. So Parker at what, 6'3", 210, somewhere in there. What is even bigger? Yeah. But that's the type of that's the archetype of receiver that's been capable of getting one over on the Eagles. So while a lot of folks will probably bypass uh, Devontae Parker, they'll think about like to your point, the fact that he was, you know, they drafted him earlier. He hasn't been able to work out in the past. Looking at that like week one matchup, he might be that flex play that folks will want to have like in their in their lineup just for those downfield shots that Mac Jones will take. And then they're probably going to go to Parker. Had a game last year with 156 yards, had one week 18 where he had 79 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Again, I know he's not creating all that much separation, but just to see his ADP not change at all throughout the offseason, despite getting that three-year extension, despite word out of training camp, him, Juju, Henry, and Stevenson are four of the five cemented skill position starters and seeing DeAndre Hopkins be heavily rumored to reunite with Bill O'Brien and then take his talents to Tennessee. No excuses for Devontae Parker to be going this cheap and drafts again i want to use a lot of my early round picks on wide receivers if i can have five in the first nine rounds that is ideal because after the first 48 to 50 wide receivers are off the board you get into chris's tyler boyd tier and it's a little bit tougher to be fully excited about those guys as weekly starting options so outside of the top 150 picks if i am going to go with some more wide receivers i do like jonathan mingo there but i'm honestly surprised he even is that cheap so other than him Jaden Reed, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Devontae Parker sign me up. Let's go ahead and, you know, Chris, I know I had uh, Addison next, but let's go ahead and talk about Jaden Reed. Speaking of the devil here, Packers starting slot wide receiver did not mm-hmm. need to look at this situation as one. We're like, when's he going to go get that job? Everything we've heard out of training camp, everything we've seen with the first team usage is that Jaden Reed's immediately going to be out there in 11 personnel. What if Jordan Love doesn't suck? It could happen. Mm-hmm. And in that case, man, Jaden Reed might be a big reason why. Listening to to your boy Robert Mays talking about the fact that he was up at Green Bay, looking at what's good, like just the tenor of the Packers preseason and training camp. Everybody loves him. They think that he can take the step forward, which would be actually really hilarious. The fact that they went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, just decades, literally, of quarterback stability, and to have Jordan Love come out in Week One and at least be, I mean, good. We're not. I'm saying elite but good enough to command this offense with the players that they have now structured around him would be hilarious. It would be delightful for me to see that because everybody has been as chaotic about what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers and him leaving and all that as it's been for love to have sat behind him for so long and just walk out and be like, yeah, I got this. That'd be great. (laughs) But Reed should be a huge part of that. Look at the rest of the roster as of right now. Aaron Jones, I mean, top 10, top 12 in yards after catch per reception as a running back. A.J. Dillon in the top 20, top 24 in the same metric. Christian Watson being able to create explosives. And, of course, they added Luke Musgrave, who, while still a rookie tight end, also capable of creating explosives. That was a part of his collegiate profile. And Jaden Reed is one and the same. 
Uh, he, like his ability after the catch, his ability to create, uh, also create separation, his contested catch ability. I mean, all jives with the type of personnel that the Packers have, cr have put around Jordan Love. So I'm super high on Jaden Reed, like for, uh, for 2023. I think he should be able to like challenge a guy like Christian Watson, like for the lead and targets for this season, uh, just looking at it, the types of routes and like his ability to create separation. But overall, I mean, this Packers offense, while a lot of uncertainty associated with it, I think there's enough pieces around Jordan Love to pull him into at least a viable, real and fantasy football season. And just kind of looking at what Matt LaFleur's been able to do over the years, I mean, coming from that Shanahan system, work with them in Houston, Washington, and then with those Atlanta Falcons teams that, you know, are putting up all sorts of points. Then he spends a year, you know, under Sean McVay and in 2017 like McVeigh and Kyle Shanahan if you just look at the quarterbacks that they've managed to get so much out of over the last decade thanks to pristine play calling and just the ability to make life easy on them no I'm not giving the floor all the credit for Rodgers you know winning those two MVPs but we do gotta give him some credit for really helping lift Rodgers out of a down period of his career and getting back to that MVP level even if it's 80 percent 20 percent Rodgers in the floor maybe just maybe Chris even if Jordan Love is not a very good NFL quarterback quarterback uh we can actually see him get lifted to something closer to average and accordingly produce some level of decent fantasy options because again none of these guys other than christian watson are costing you much anyway so love that call on Jaden reed and to be fair i would have him ranked ahead of both dpj and Devonte parker but why not all three at the end of drafts chris it is legal after all I want to talk a little bit about some tampa bay buccaneers chris and something interesting i picked up on here so I mentioned this before in pittsburgh I'm not trying to say that these teams should completely change their future Hall of Fame quarterbacks and what they've done their entire career. So I'm not indicting what's been going on in Tampa Bay over these past three seasons. But the lack of play action, man, was just startling with the Buccaneers. You look at it, ever since Tom Brady got there in 2020, they ranked 30th and then dead last in 2021 and 2022. Bunch of bunch of data over the years, specifically by our friends over at PFF. Uh, PFF Steve, I know, actually recently had a panel on one of those analytics conferences talking about play action just being like one of the most underused cheat codes in the modern NFL with teams just able to pick up so much more uh, yardage efficiently than when you're just dropping straight back. Chris Collinsworth, I know, has talked about on Sunday Night Football before how it took him a long time to realize that play action just really helps regardless of if you have a great run game or not. So play mm -hmm. action is good. We all understand that. The Buccaneers in the preseason, Chris, number one in the entire NFL in play action rate at 39%. So similar to uh, Baker Mayfield and the kind of Jordan Love conversation we just had. Please, please don't mistake this as me saying Baker Mayfield is going to rise up and, you know, be the number one pick uh, type of talent that we all thought he might be back in the day. What I am saying, though, Chris, is that First of all, give the guy a little bit of credit for going 14 of 15, 106 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, no sacks taken. Small sample, preseason. I'd rather the guy be good than horrible in the small sample and in the preseason. And when you just look at Mayfield throughout his career, man, among 50 qualified quarterbacks since coming into the league, top 22 in PFF passing grade, passer rating, yards per attempt. Top 22 is not elite. I do not expect Baker to be elite this year. You know who has been elite, though, Chris? Mike Evans and Chris Goffman. And if this offensive system with Dave Canales is coming over from Seattle and some of the work he did last year in a similar situation with some great wide receivers, but an unproven quarterback in Geno, 
We all saw Gino. I don't think that was fluky. I don't think it was just Gino being put into a system that magically helped everything. But maybe, just maybe, Chris, these play callers in Tampa know what they're doing. And Mike Evans and Chris Goblin are too damn good to be held down too low in fantasy land. So, again, one of these things I just want to keep an eye on because the things we've noticed about play action over the years... Very, very good sign, and we see some of the best offenses in the league regularly utilizing it at the top of the league. So the fact that Tampa Bay maybe just maybe has a little trick up their sleeve here, I'm almost a little more scared for how much I've been fading Evans and Goblin at their still reasonable wide receiver three price tags. Yeah, I've been doing the same, and that that one will definitely come to burn me. Uh, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if that burns me at some point, or at least by the end of the end of the regular season. So two things. First. I don't know if there's any systemic risk, but it's just one of the reasons. It's not just the uncertainty around the quarterback situation, but just what is the team going to do throughout the season? Uh, Ryan Jensen, their starting center, like already down like for, for the season. Uh, could we see them start to essentially just tear it all down throughout the regular season? They start moving pieces. Not saying that like any of these guys are going to get traded, but could Mike Evans get traded? I believe his contract is up at the end of the season. Wait, could they start to move some of the pieces that if it's not if it don't directly impact like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, like those guys get moved? But could the pieces around them that could support them, like any of the offensive linemen, defensive, like whatever the case may be, is that a possibility? It's in the back of my mind. But for the Baker conversation in particular, Kevin Stefanski, I think, saw this like for a bit. Uh, so when uh, Baker was in Cleveland, uh, I think they started to get him out on the on the run like a bit more, like in his their first season together, like some boot action, get him on the move and throwing like while he's on the move. Intermediate stuff, not too much deep, but that seemed to be Baker's strength. And it seems like Tampa Bay Buccaneers like recognize or they also see that as a good fit for his style, having him be like this traditional pocket passer, especially at his stature, probably isn't the best way to try and pigeonhole a guy like him into the quarterback position. So getting him out on the move, utilizing play action to your point, which is a cheat code. We've seen a number of quarterbacks succeed, like once teams actually start to dial that part in. I mean, what was it? Marcus Mariota's play action rate in Atlanta last season, it was just like an atrocious like rate compared to yeah. the rest of the league, like 40 some odd percent compared to league average somewhere in the 20s. We've seen it work for other quarterbacks, worse quarterbacks like in the league. So if this is something that they're going to try and lean on in order to prop up the rest of the offense, I'm all for it because at the very least, it props up the guys that we care about in the middle rounds. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. And then if you want to throw in like, you know, the running backs in the in the middle rounds like Rashad White. And then, of course, folks who've still been drafting Kate Otten, who is their starting tight end at this point. I mean, again, it helps. It helps put those guys in a better fantasy light than just saying, oh, it's going to be Baker Mayfield throwing the ball like throughout the 2023 season. You did mention the potential of the Evans trade with the contract. And then maybe again, if they just start the season, they're one and five and they, you know, start really watching some late night Caleb Williams highlights. Like I know we've all been prone to do. Where would the one team be that you want to see Mike Evans fall to, Chris? I already have my answer. I'm curious if uh, we had the same one. Uh, to see him go to a place like, I mean, so it happened. I don't think it would be, I mean, it could be NFC to NFC and like send him to the Giants. I said they the could Jets. use it. The Jets, I mean, the Jets would probably try and push as many chips all in, like after like paying for Dalvin to come there. So I think that would work out. But of course, the Garrett Wilson bag holders are probably screaming at the at that idea. 
Yeah, I'm just like, look, they already shipped off Mims. Corey Davis abruptly retires. Alan Lazard's already dealing with an injury. Randall Cobb, unironically, has apparently beaten out Miko Hardman for like the starting slot job. I just feel like if they are all in, I know the Devontae Adams rumors have been going on because it is mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers after all. But like, you can't tell me Rodgers took that steep of a pay cut just to bring on Dalvin Cook. Like, fine, helps your running back depth. I've said this before, all 32 teams in the league are better with Dalvin Cook on it. It's just in a salary cap system you gotta consider if that you know salary is really gonna be worth it but getting again that extra because if they want to they don't have to but like garrett wilson could be so dynamic just with a lot of reps out of the slot but with the way things are going right now he's gonna have to stick outside so cobb can freaking do that the fact Mm -hmm. that cobb is just so into these plans in the year 2023 chris is killing me prime prime randall cobb is awesome i was talking to uh dwayne the other day and like i wanted to comp uh because he was saying Elijah Moore could be more like Debo Samuel with the running back stuff. And I was like, no, we say that about every single wide receiver that ever gets a handoff. 2014, 2015 Randall Cobb, man, would get himself 15 or so carries per season, lined up as a running back. That's what I'm hoping for Elijah Moore. So again, not trying to slander Randall Cobb. I'm not, I've said some mean-ish things about Marvin Jones this offseason. 2023 versions of those guys, prime Marvin, prime Randall Cobb, hell of a problem for defenses to figure out. Last one here, Chris, talking one more wide receiver, a guy that you've been targeting a lot more in the middle rounds of drafts and certainly someone I think that fits squarely into that, again, top 48, top 50 conversation of guys you want to stack up on your roster. And by that, I just mean he's inside that. I haven't ranked him all inside the top 36 wide receivers, but talk about Vikings rookie Jordan Addison, the type of guy who, again, just such a good individual that he'll drive 140 miles per hour if it means <laughs> getting number one, getting that dog the help it needs out there. So. Talk about Jordan Addison and why you've warmed up to him throughout the offseason. I hope, and this is like not even not not even joking. I hope the rest of his team continues to harass him about it, so he doesn't make such a like horrible decision. <laughs> and like they just call him like you know, hey, how's your dog going, Jordan? Like how's your dog doing? Like just I hope, every like, single just, time, just every every time. Like hey, how's your dog doing? Like how's he doing? Probably didn't have a dog, but Addison Vikings. We talked earlier about Hawkinson. And his utility, like not even utility, his necessity, criticality to the Vikings offense, like once he got traded to Minnesota, instantly becoming uh, second in third down, obvious passing situation targets behind Justin Jefferson, moving into the upper echelon of Kirk Cousins options once they got into the red zone. Uh, All good for fantasy purposes. Uh, Everybody loved it. I mean, it worked out for the Vikings. Uh, We saw with Kevin O'Connell coming over top five, top six in pass over expectation. So with a pass-happy offense, having another option within that passing game, all lined up for TJ Hawkinson. But they still needed more. Again, I brought up the fact that their season ended on the fact that they only had Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson to throw to. That pass short of the sticks that ended their season, they can't have this again. And if they're trying to do this competitive rebuild type of thing but at the same time making tj hawkinson the highest paid tight end like in the league which doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh but i'll rant on Quessy like (laughs) another time but they still needed other they still need other options and kj osborne while a good role player is essentially that he is a role player and what they need is they need a way to be more efficient once they get into those obvious passing situations and if justin jefferson is going to get bracketed or his defensive gravity like provides enough attention in order to make other people or other players within the offense more viable Hawkinson is fine but Addison is has to be that guy he has to be his collegiate profile shows I mean he was in 
top four, top five in terms of yards after catch per reception, like in his wide receiver class, always like also being able to create separation. And this should be the guy that they need to have like on this roster. They need to have a separate wide receiver, like or a wide receiver that can operate out like opposite Justin Jefferson that can still create explosives, still help them move the chains and like allow them to be a, an efficient offense. For as many highs as we saw for the Vikings passing game, like uh, just the Vikings offense in general in 2022, they were, what, 26th, 27th in DVOA last season? So it's just, it, they, they, it's a hard way to live. Like, to be able to make it to the playoffs, lose in the fashion that they did, but then without making as many, like, as many offensive moves as possible, expect to get back to where they were, like, last season. So with Addison coming along, I expect him to be, like their starting wide receiver and involved heavily in the passing game from week one. And with the volume that we should expect to see like from the Vikings this season, I mean, he should be like a like a fantasy target, but also just a high end, like real life, uh, like a football receiver, like for, for the Vikings this year. And, you know, we had some like just truly sick training camp highlights come out. I know we overhype him all the time and stuff, but like really he, he looks the part of the first round wide receiver that can make some major noise. Even if it takes a little bit of a ramp up, you know, it's not like we haven't seen rookie wide receivers have fantastic stretch runs out here in recent years, but Chris, like what surprises me and I'm looking right now at our fantasy life ADP tool, which uh, I mean, it costs, no, it's free. It's free. Like everything else. Wow. Fancy that. But looking at it like over the last week, he's actually moved a little bit down in ADP. Like the fact that Addison wasn't a bigger August, riser really surprised me because it seemed like he was on the verge of just rocket shipping up i don't know if people are that concerned about maybe more two tight end sets and they give josh oliver you know a nice little bag the amount of money that throwing the tight ends in minnesota man absolutely wild now that i think about it blockers blockers that's true kj osborne like okay could we have a situation where as much as we made fun of the justin jefferson you know wide receiver three blurb from a couple years ago it did take until week three for jefferson to get that full-time role so again with addison like i do think close start sit questions between him and maybe someone like Jahan dotson like in week one okay give me the guy who i'm positive is going to be out there you know for a 90 percent plus route rate in Jahan dotson but sooner rather than later man with addison it just seems like a matter of you know when not if for the guy and honestly like especially um i know chris you gotta be in a few like this but if you have some keeper leagues where it is a tiebreaker between you know addison and maybe one of these vets go ahead and give me the first round rookie man who this time next year wouldn't be the most surprising thing ever if he's already knocking on that wide receiver two door this is the same team that only had like one they had their first round pick they used their two to trade for tj hawkinson and had a plethora of needs on the defensive side what was their first pick? What did they prioritize over everything else? They prioritized Jordan Addison. I mean, that the, the teams, the, the, what the team has told us says everything. Great stuff, Chris. Great job. Great job, listeners. You know, I appreciate each and every one of you. Best fancy listeners in the business coming to the Fancy Life Podcast for my money's worth. Good freaking luck this weekend. Good luck this week whenever you're doing your home draft. Just remember, it is always a great day to be great. Chris, what do you get up to this weekend? Just supporting some labor, you know, having some having some brewskis maybe? Yep, uh, just hanging out with the fam, uh, trying at least take as much of a break like from football as I possibly can. Uh, but I'm going to be on the newsletter this weekend. So we are hey. moving to a seven-day schedule like starting this weekend. And so the Saturday newsletter will be featuring this guy right here. So I'll be writing the newsletter every Saturday throughout the regular season. So be on the lookout in your inboxes for that. But other than that, yeah, just hanging out with the fam, uh, trying to catch up and spend as much free time as I can with them before 
before the regular season consumes us all. Yeah, I saw a uh, TikTok where this guy like wrote his wife like a contract and it was just like, you know, I'm putting in my two weeks notice, you know, for the next yeah. six months. Uh, every Sunday I'm out of the picture, Monday yeah. evenings, Thursday evening is going to be rough for me there. But yeah, seriously, guys, I, I know we pimp out the newsletter a lot, you know, it's kind of like the biggest part of our company. But again, it's 100% free, seven days yeah. a week now. And I am telling you, I get barked at anytime I make my intro longer than like 500 words. So we are very mindful of not taking up too much of your time trying to be as as important as possible, but also having fun with it. So the water cooler section, obviously, you know, really highlighting some of the best work from even outside of our company and just some of the funny stuff going on. So, you know, Chris, myself, Peter Overset, Dwight McFarlane, Kendall Valenzuela, pouring our blood, sweat, and tears into that thing, you know, amongst all the rest of our great contributors. So if there's any way, you know, you guys just want to support the podcast, support the company, subscribing to the Fantasy Life newsletter is the best way to do that. Chris, I'm just going to be chilling. We got a, a farmhouse over in Lancaster, Ohio, just the middle of freaking nowhere more yeah. or less but going down there with some family friends gonna have far too many cocktails for a few days before we nice. are again back to chilling in football mode i do have though this weekend i have a 32 team fantasy draft chris my first 32? year in it it's it's mad i sent some random tweet in the offseason and this guy responded like ian we do this 32 team league do you want to join i responded that is ridiculous where do i sign up and here we are i got the one-on-one chris it's uh it's there team qb it's team qb so i feel like i gotta okay. go with chiefs bills or eagles because you know getting the buccaneers whoever pick 65 doesn't sound all that great no but that's that's a heck of a way to like think about like strategy drafting no. and all that so i kind of dig it i l- let me know how that turns out i want to see like how people draft in, in a league like that i don't think i'd be able to keep up with it but I- i'll definitely live through you vicariously <laughs> in such a wild ass league it is going to be a gross draft board but that's what can make fantasy so great sometimes so again can't say enough good luck to everyone out there in your home league drafts and just remember we're gonna be back here multiple three four five times a week i don't even know how many times chris one medium or another helping you guys out in week one and along the way off season pretty much over let's go win those championships now though so for chris i'm ian thanks again for tuning in the fantasy life podcast and until next time take care everybody